everybody, and welcome to Tapped in Psychedelics. I'm your host, Adam Tapp, and with you is my friend and producer, Handsome Jason. And today we're talking to Dr. Ryan Westrom, who is a nationally recognized psychedelic integration expert and has been a mental health practitioner for over 20 years. So how are you doing, Ryan? I'm great. Thank you for having me. So I think this is really important, and the fact that, you know, you're your sort of profession focuses on psychedelic integration. And we've had multiple guests on our show where they, they talk about the facilitation, they talk about psychedelics and all these other things, but everyone always mentions integration, but people don't necessarily have an explanation for what it necessarily is and the importance of it. And I'd really like to hear your opinions on this as that's fundamentally what you do. It's a great question. And I think it's a question that has confused people Integration to me is taking two parts and putting it together. By doing that, you can then practically live with it. And for example, with psychedelics, it's an experience and living, and we put it together and we walk with it. And that can manifest in a multitude of different ways spiritually, emotionally, physically, or theoretically. But bringing it practically is what I call integration. And so it's it's an interesting idea where it's like a psychedelic experience itself. You know, to me, I, I've said that like if a picture says a thousand words and a psychedelic experience is like a million pictures. And then trying to figure out the meaning behind the experience, what you drew from it, and then turn it into a practical application in your life. And, you know, like I've done huge amounts of psychedelics and the integration part is something that's so difficult. You know what I mean? Like it takes so long to figure out how this works. And so in your experience and in the practice that you have, you know, let, let's just say someone does a significant amount of psilocybin. They have this experience. So what, what does it mean and what does it look like to integrate those experiences? I think, Adam, what you address is two words for me is consumption versus digestion. And often the hook is we take a big experience and we think we have to consume all of that and make sense of that rather than digest what's in our hands, capable or in the front of our mind, relevant to us. And the hiccup in integration, Adam, is people will try to take everything and make sense of everything. See, that, that's actually a pretty, because I'm guilty of that. Well, guilty. I, I, I've i tried to do that so many times. Like, you know, you'll have a 5-MEO experience or something so deeply profound, and then you come back and you're trying to hold on to the experience itself. And so I think another way to look at this too is that understanding what psychedelics are actually doing so that we can reference the, the relevance of integration. And so I, I know that these two are huge topics, but I think they sort of need to be discussed in tandem to sort of really understand what this means. Because again, like psychedelics in my experience, and I can only speak for myself because it's, it's a very difficult thing to project onto someone else, is that, you know, for me, it's always like I'm playing the role of both the therapist and the patient it, to some extent within this experience. And I'm experiencing all these things rather objectively, subjectively, and, you know, the multitude of other information that is actually going on is astounding and, and beyond recognition and words. And I don't think people who haven't had a psychedelic experience can necessarily understand it. And so what are psychedelics doing 
Like in that moment, in that experience, in what do you think is actually happening that's allowing me to take this information and then integrate it into my practice of, of simply just being? That question I have to disclose and have a disclaimer as being a psychologist, I don't know the neurochemistry of what's going on. And so I have to give that to them. Yeah, no, totally fair. What psychedelics to me is happening is it's invitations. And why that's important with integration is we have an opportunity to listen to ourselves. We have an opportunity to reflect. And we have an opportunity to see what the potentials are. And at an early age, I started using these medicines. And the first invitation they provided me was an opportunity to love yourself. So again, going back to invitations, psychedelics to me are a plethora of opportunities to reconcile, look at things biographically, archetypally, and just drive into this. If you have a safe container and find yourself loving yourself and integrating these experiences, psychedelics are challenging though. And I can't, I can't say what's going on. And then I, I know, I know nothing is when I say that. And that's when you edit it and you go, this guy, <laughs> <laughs> he's done. What, what's he even talking about? Well, it, it sounds like what you're saying is that in effect, psychedelics allow you to, to deprogram yourself in, in a sense. And you know what I mean? And we have to get programmed from a childhood. Like you need to become something. You need to get this identity. You need to learn how to function in society. But then you just, you pick up a lot of damage on the way. And it seems that what you're saying is that we have to systematically go back and deprogram ourselves. And, and I completely agree with you on the sense that, you know, to love yourself. And I don't think many people understand that statement until you really get into the thick of it. But I think that we are filled with so much shame and self-loathing and insecurity and a multitude of different things that, you know, societal pressures, cultural pressures project on us. And then because of the very nature of human acclimatization, you know, you just, you're used to the weight that's on your shoulders. And the one thing that I recognize is the first time I did a very significant amount of psychedelics is I think it, it gave me the awareness of how much trauma, how much pressure and insecurity we put on ourselves. And sure, you know, being that it gave me a platform to start, you know, doing exactly what you're talking about basically is, you know, starting to deprogram myself, I guess. Well, and what you bring up is so beautiful. It's practical again, right? That deprogramming is this lived experience. And I think that's where integration gets a bad name or a bad rap is it's, we're looking for a spiritual connection or spirit, what's beyond, but really it's how do we live with ourselves? How do we engage in ourselves and what we're doing as choice decisions, interfacing with others? Yeah, you know, I love that deprogramming. That's really beautiful. Well, it it does make a lot of sense. And sorry, Jason, you want to say something? Yeah, I just want to ask kind of a dumb guy question over here. Um, Ryan, psychedelics, when a lot of people use them uh, therapeutically as medicines, it seems to have like very profound psychological uh, effects on them. Um, the way that you're kind of describing this integration piece, it sounds 
similar to obviously hallucinations could have a lot of um, syllogisms with uh, say like dreams or dream states, but we don't necessarily pay much mind or do a lot of analysis on dreams unless you're Freudian in, in nature. Um, but with psychedelics, they're, they're more profound and introspective. Why do you think there's a difference there um, between these two modalities of looking internally and, and, and turning that lens inward? It's a profound question. I think the difference between dreams and psychedelics is really nothing. It's all non-ordinary states. So I would challenge the thought that they're separate. And I would actually invite in that they're probably providing more information to each other. Interesting. From my own vantage point. Yeah, Jason, this is an idea that I have where people are using psychedelics and they're having it as an opportunity for their dreams or vice versa, their dreams might be intuitive to an intention setting of what's coming up in a psychedelic. And I do workshops around dream interpretations and that helps them kind of facilitate a safety in the psychedelics. Well, I've thought it again, I'm not a psychologist, but like, it seems to me that a lot of the times too, that the dreams that I have can be representations of fears or internal things that are going on in my life. It's, it's my, my subconscious's way of expressing something as perhaps a metaphor. And then, and I've had dreams where I've had subsequent psychedelic experiences or even vice versa, where they're very integrally connected. And more specifically, even now, like I'll have full blown psychedelic dreams all the time. And I had one last night. It was deeply profound and beautiful. And so it, it's it's really interesting that, you know, your perspective is that there is no separation between these two things and that both are non-ordinary states of consciousness. And, you know, I, I've heard people suggest that dreams are sort of steered by dimethyltryptamine releases as well as other endogenous hormones in your brain. I'm not sure if that's anecdotal or if there's actually a lot of science behind that. But so the integration process with psychedelics would fundamentally parallel with dreams as well then i assume that's my assumption based off of the historical things that have happened to me my clients and everything else is it gives us a reassurance and again i know nothing as it relates to the outcome but it brings up another point of what psychedelics do for people there's a reassurance of sorts and with appropriate integration you're much more comfortable in your embodiment of life in spiritual life. And so do you see how those interweave? You have a bad dream. All of a sudden you're stuck. Yeah. So when you say it gives you sort of a, a reassurance, what, what does that necessarily mean? Like, you know, cause I've had a lot of psychedelic experiences where they were, I'm not going to say traumatic, but they were hard. They were grinding. And don't get me wrong. I came out of it with this intense sensation of like, I, I did work today. I, I accomplished these things. But do you mean like reassurance in the sense that we are assured that we have control over our emotional state, that we actually have con- control in our lives when a lot of us feels fundamentally out of control? Uh, what I mean by reassurance is this idea that you have done something. You're working with it again, it's actually quite paradoxical. You don't have any control over the outcome. But the reassurance is that it's safety container that you're working with your mind with somebody or with a collective that has your back. 
right? And that could be psychedelics in nature or your allies. It's really esoteric, I know. It's esoteric, but at the same time, it does make a lot of sense. You know what I mean? Like it's because one one mechanism that I look at it is that, you know, okay, so let's just say I've never done psychedelics in my life. I've led an average life, but yet I am still yet full of trauma, full of insecurity, full of all these things. And being able to recognize and objectively view myself, see these traumas and understand that there's, there's a way through them. There's a way to deal with it because otherwise they just remain buried. They remain inaccessible. They remain unobserved. They're just sort of subtly there influencing your day-to-day behaviors. And so psychedelics as a mechanism work in similar fashion to dreams do by giving you the reassurance that something can simply be done and that we can traverse, we can prevail, we have the opportunity to move forward. The outcome is always unknown. I think that's that's just part of the human condition. But it's sort of an interesting perspective that psychedelics seemingly give us the opportunity, give us the awareness that perhaps our the human condition isn't just simply futile by its very nature. Yeah, and speaking back to what Jason said and what you're talking about with control, I want to put the cart after the horse and remind everybody that I'm talking about active integration with a therapeutic process, right? So that reassurance comes because we've already created integral kind of guideposts or tethers that know we're in a container. What I'm not talking about is just this random experience of like uncontrolled. Does that make sense? Yeah. What would be an example of a guidepost or a tether? That's a fantastic uh, point. The therapist, the set and setting that is so often talked about, right? So the bed or the place that you're doing this in, maybe knowing where you're going, what your intentions are. So you could have documented that prior, like dream journals are tethers. Interesting. Integration handbooks, such as what I provide. Yeah. A lot of these things you're describing sound similar to um, anchoring techniques that I would use in my work with people who are suffering from panic attacks or anxiety. Um, is that kind of a good like syllogism for that? Very much so. So in your opinion and how you view this, so I'm just curious at how this works. So say someone, somebody wants to do psychedelics and they would contact you. And they would say, I want to do some psilocybin. So would you sort of coach them on what to anticipate, what to start doing as prep work to sort of establish a foundation for the integration work that occurs afterwards? That's exactly what I do. So the first and foremost is I reassure people of why they're doing it through a prep acronym. P being purpose, R being reflection on why or what my intent is. E, what are my expectations going into it? And P, what's the potential, as you said earlier? It's unknown. So I really want to help people harness a reassurance or a solidification of their intent before we do any conversation of what the medicine's going to be, where it's going to be, what you're going to do. And then post-experience, basically, I would imagine you'd revisit prep and, and you would look at, you know, the exact things they wrote down and then sort of explore the idea of what they their expectations were, what they wanted in reference to what the experience actually was and then try and draw the conclusions from that? Yeah, and then also recognize the toothpaste was squeezed out and we have to do something with it. 
Yeah, no, fair enough. Did I say that comically? I was going to say, can we elaborate on that a smidge? Yeah, yeah. Well, what Adam was just saying is, did we align with what we were hoping for and did it fit into the box? And often I have to put the recognition out that, hey, this toothpaste is going to come out and we need to just know that we don't know what's coming out. We don't know where we're going to do with it. And we have to acknowledge that first. Gotcha. So before we do anything practically, we have to kind of acknowledge what it was in honor and a ritual of sorts. See, because I find that like with a lot of my psychedelic experiences is that I I never get what I want. I get what I need. And more often than not, that is an entirely different, you know, idea of what I wanted going into it. You know, when people always say like create an intention and I'm, I'm totally cool with that. And, but every intention I've ever created, I was almost like kind of thrown in my face and it was like, no, you're, this is what you needed. And this is what the experience you're going to have. And then I come out of it and then, yeah, it's, it's sort of an interesting thing. Like I remember doing a large amount of five MEO DMT once and I was like confused and anxious for like over a month just trying to integrate this experience. And I, and I wonder too, like, is the idea behind this is to establish that there is a mechanism in which to take the emotions and the feelings that people have experienced and then sort of to apply it and maneuver in a way that allows people to recognize, move through, acknowledge whatever trauma came out of them. And then try and create a position in which this can be absorbed and created a pattern. Well, you just paused me and actually made me reflect on something. I think psychedelics is necessary to be used as an opportunity to be gentle with ourselves. Yeah. And not necessarily make sense of ourselves. Well, it's it's funny that you say that. You know, like I've been doing psychedelics for like 10 years and, you know, I remember initially I always wanted to sort of see behind the curtain. I wanted to know all that there was and the meaning of life and all this stuff that, you know, people write songs and books and movies about. And then it really got to a point where it was simply about, like you said, just being gentle with myself. You know what I mean? Like, and, and now I always have this idea. I'm like, you know, just be gentle with yourself. We're, we're all a work in progress. You know what I mean? And, and you talked about the idea of simply loving yourself. And I feel that to me at the end of the day, psychedelics and whatever mechanism you're using them, whatever you want to get out of them at the end of the day, it is literally just so that you can take a breath, take, give yourself that, that metaphorical hug and just be like, you know, wow, I I love myself, which is so much easier said than done. Oddly enough. Right. And it makes me remind everybody as a public service announcement that it's not trying to make sense of it or get the answer. That's where people actually start to go into circles or loops of negativity is that they're not good enough because they didn't get the answer rather than just experience it. Well, and another thing too, which I think is important to note is that a lot of people, I think it's like a Western culture sort of concept where it's that one and done, I'm going to take this, I'm going to be fine. And I feel that even it's being projected that way on a lot of different levels. You know, like when people are talking about the results from these clinical trials, and they're like, oh, one psilocybin dose has reduced depression for 30 days and 80% of the participants. And it's like, no, like this, this isn't a one thing. I think people need to start realizing is that, you know, taking a psychedelic, to me, 
is opening Pandora's box. You're opening up this box inside yourself of all these suppressed emotions, self-loathing, fear, insecurities, and all these different things. And much like compressed clay, when you start digging it, you might have a hole that's six inches, but you have like a three-foot pile of dirt right there. And people, you know, you have to understand is that once you open this box, you can't just close it. It's very difficult to close that box. And unless someone is prepared to go through the grind, then I I sometimes suggest that maybe psychedelics aren't for this individual. You know what I mean? Like, do you, in your experience, do you see that one psychedelic experience is able to help people without having that lingering residual effect? Like, you know, it's... It's, it's like that magician thing when you're you're pulling out these these scarfs, but yet as you pull one out, the remnants of the other one is right there. And it's like you're just, you know, you deal with one trauma, but yet there's another one still residually bare left inside you that needs needs work as well. Well, I agree with you, and I agree with the idea that it's a long game. And what I articulate to people is psychedelics is an opportunity to use as tools to the consistent reflection of grief trauma, your story, and everything else that goes with. It's not going to heal it and take it away. It's going to provide you an opportunity to work with it. And by nature, what you just said was exactly right. The one hit pill, that doesn't work. That's paradoxical to what the intent of what psychedelics is used. Well, it, it really is. You know what I mean? Like it's, and again, I think that's a societal, I think that's a byproduct of the ideas of Western medicine. It's the same idea of like, you know, I could go for a jog, but I'd rather just take a pill to lose weight or, you know, I could stop eating bacon, but there's other ways to get my cholesterol down. And I think that at some point in time, the, the psychedelic community or the people who are choosing to use psychedelics as practitioners or as even the patients need to have sort of a shift in the perspective of what that means. And again, like, you know, I've been, I've been using psychedelics for a long time. And the one thing that I've began to realize is that, you know, it took me 41 years to get to the place that I am emotionally. It's going to take a little bit more than a couple evenings, six hours here, six hours here is to retroactively go back. And like we had talked about deprogram myself and, you know, I, it's, to me, it's been a very arduous process. And I imagine most people probably are in a similar circumstance. What, what advice would you have for someone who wants to start doing psychedelics? Like, you know, what, what, what would you say to someone who's like, I'm curious about, you know, doing psychedelics and and I'm programming myself. Like, would, would there be sort of a warning, a, an idea that you would tell them, like, how would you prepare someone for this? The first thing I say is I'm not the gatekeeper. Second thing I say is, what are you looking for, right? Especially with the trends today, people are talking about it. Grandma's coming to me, like saying, hey, this is what we're doing. This is what the culture is doing. I want to like reprogram my brain. We have to monitor expectations. And what I love about what you said, Adam, is this idea of not scaring them, but really clarifying what their motivations are and then leading them, helping them build a road that's practical to them. Well, and I personally think that psychedelics should be available for anyone who's alive. I, th- I think it's I think it's a given right of the human condition to have access to psychedelics. And, and I think we're moving in that direction. But at the same time, like, you know, we just talk about deprogramming. We're deprogramming the cultural influence of an entire lifespan. 
And part of that deprogramming is the understanding that it takes more than just a single pill to do this. So it's this weird inverse relationship where it's like, okay, we got to start somewhere. And you know, when we've, we've had conversations before, it's like, well, do people influence culture or does culture influence people? And so how do we change this and create a system in which people can go in with the appropriate amount of education, with the appropriate expectation and have the capacity to take what they learn from the psychedelic experience and apply it to a day-to-day existence. Because those two things don't always correlate. You know, you no. You know, you have a massive amount of psychedelics in your system and you're experiencing something that transcends both language, it transcends our our interpretation of reality. And then you come back and and then you have to learn how to integrate, you have to learn how to pick pieces of this and then apply it to your life. It's it's a big experiences. It's a big learning. Guys, curve. with your consent, I would like to talk about is it for everybody? Please, no, I, I appreciate that. The difference between being open for everybody and being used for everybody. You said something very beautifully. To have access to it is different to be uh, maybe prepared to use it. That's a very. I don't mean to be prudent yeah. or skeptical. No, but I but I appreciate that. It's clarifying something I said, and I think you're absolutely right. Like I, as much as I think everyone's. Can, can be open to psychedelics. I don't, I don't really think so. You know, and I, I've over the years, I've talked to many of folk who have done psychedelics. And to me, a big part of psychedelics is letting go of control or perceived control. Cause I don't, I don't think that we're really in control of anything. We can barely even control how we interpret events around us. You know what I mean? And so part of it is like letting go of control. And I think that. I don't, I don't think very many people are prepared for that because, you know, I know, yeah, so many people always say the same thing is that they're like, I don't want to let go of control. And my response is, what do you think you're in control of? And then I get a glazed look and that's usually the end of the conversation. It's true. And I think that's actually one of the biggest challenges I've seen with clients is their ability or inability to release. And I say, explore surrender. Can you explore? Can you surrender? And it's not to suggest that you're out of control. It's just, can you lean into it? Can you play with it? Well, and it's it's funny too that you say the notion of you're not actually out of control. And I, I will completely agree with that. To be honest with you, I feel more empowered in a psychedelic experience than I do in this conversation or in the reality that I, I seemingly exist in. But again, it's, you know, if I've spent 41 years navigating the world as Adam Tapp in this, you know, meat mech suit that I move around in, it is a very difficult thing to switch a paradigm of thought from the fact that I am in control of my physical body, I am in control of my mind, I'm in control of the world around me and recognize that that is, that is a very much a fallacy. Thank you for that. No, no problem. And part of it to me is like, you know, the biggest thing with integration, I think, is, or even with the pre and post of a psychedelic experience, is I think maybe even validating people, like you had said before, about the psychedelic experience that you had and, and you not getting what you thought that you wanted is is actually okay. It's entirely 100% okay. And simply take what you had from it and try and implement it into, into your life. And so... Right. What do you think some of the things from like a psychedelic experience, like, well, let's just take you, for instance, you've had many psychedelic experiences. I would imagine that you're quite capable of integrating, like, you know, from you and your evolution as an individual from using psychedelics, what are things or examples of things that you've integrated into your life from psychedelic experiences? The first and foremost is love leads. 
it took me a very long time to recognize that as the words. Leading by love isn't what it is, but love leads. You transfer into that expression into the world. That's huge. Then I found out, and this was very hard, there's a world full of limitations. And if you can understand the limitations in the container, it makes you that much more appreciative of the experiences that we have. When you say the container, do you mean me yeah. as the container or do you mean the world as the container? Both. Fair and enough. this is where you can <laughs> you can tell I've done psychedelics. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it, it's, it became an opportunity in the experience where I learned that, okay, there's a limitation here. And this is where I want to really address with people is if we keep pushing it, we're only going to be more challenging on ourselves, more hard on ourselves. But if we recognize there's a limitation and there's a source or there's a mystery beyond it to be curious, there's a relaxing feeling. If you look at limitations as a bad thing, then all of a sudden you're like, oh gosh, I need to break the container, break the barriers, learn more. But if you understand that this lifetime is limited and there's an opportunity beyond or through another experience, that gives me hope, be it with psychedelics or in life. So those are just two. Because it, it sounds to some degree like the ideas of like Taoism and Taoism in the sense of, you know, if you spend all of your time swimming against a current, then you end up exhausted and dissatisfied as opposed to just floating in the river. You know what I mean? Like it's, is that sort of a, a reasonable interpretation? Well, that's exactly what I think. It's funny you said the river. I want to attempt to float down the river. If it gets too chaotic... I want to kind of over justify or over bring in flowing again. And then if I hit rigidity and if I'm too rigid, I, I want to compensate back into that flow. So I love that river analogy. So it seems that I feel like in a lot of this sort of integration work, you know, a lot of it is more listening to people than it is telling them things. You know, is, is that a, is that a reasonable statement? Well, that's what I love about what you're saying is giving an open forum. This, for example, is an open forum to learn. Like I'm digesting everything you and Jason are saying, and it's giving me a profound opportunity to go recognize this is out of my control and I'm really excited to learn. And that's what healthy integration is, is can you listen broader and be aware of what's coming your way? Can you be open? Well, it's it's almost like the ideas of neuroplasticity and, you know, saying that our brain can get hardwired in a specific way in which we're prone to specific emotional responses. We're prone to specific interpretation of things based off previous experience. And then the psychedelic experience, both on a psychological and physiological level are basically allowing yourself to change patterns, change behaviors, and then solidify a new pattern or behavior. You know, like they say that it takes 30 days to turn something into a habit whether positive or negative. Does that sort of apply to the same thing with psychedelics? I think it does, and it brings up the container again. What I don't want to do, and especially working with clients to integrate, is remember there's things that you don't want to change. Your personality, for say, the, the idea of what you see your partner as. So we have to talk about that before and after, that we're not trying to radically transform you or deprogram you and then reprogram you. We have to address what we do appreciate about ourselves, And then in that, we can look at what we want to reevaluate. It takes a little bit of a Tai Chi move. No, <laughs> it really does. 
And so I just, I just want to comment on something that you just said. Is there a risk of changing personality or changing, you know, like I, I know that my wife has been concerned sometimes with me doing like really high dose 5-MEO that like you're just going to come back a different person. Yeah. You're not going to. I think too, a lot of people are hesitant on using psychedelics for the first time because of a, a fear of a psychotic or psychic break. Um, is that also something that is kind of an unfounded concern? Maybe, maybe more so with integration. Well, founded versus... in depersonalization. What do you mean by that? Right? Sorry. And I, I'm sorry to step on you. No, no, go for it. Um, so the idea of depersonalization is when you are outside of your body. And often a psychedelic experience can feel like you're outside of your body. And again, if you then are trying to integrate life and you're still outside your body as a third person looking in at an entity, that can scare people. And so it's important to recognize, as you were saying, Adam, am I doing too much or do I still have one foot in? And that's always kind of my litmus test. And it sounds very like um, obscure, but we're looking at, do we still have one foot in practical reality as we're still addressing these large concepts? So are you referring to in between the space of psychedelics or during the psychedelic experience? I think we're talking about both. And as you were related to what your wife was saying is how are we doing after these sessions? Are we still capable of knowing who we are? Is this the personality that we do want to be? What it leads and to the evaluating question, it, constant evaluating it. Well, it leads me to a question is that, is our identity that fragile in the sense of that can our identity as a personality be de- deconstructed? Can I lose traits of my personality and not just the way I observe and interpret the world around me, because that is something that is malleable, but is my identity as Adam something that is fragile in the sense of that can be deconstructed? That's a really great question. Because um, I think MK Ultra would probably say yes. <laughs> I think, you know what I mean? Like there's, but but that's that's also an extremes of of a circumstance. But you know, like like Jason was saying, that a lot of people are concerned about losing their identity, whatever that might mean to the individual. But the question I think I'm asking is that is our identity that fragile in the sense that it can be deconstructed? I think it's uh, can be deconstructed, and it can also then take shape in a healing way and a fragile way that you're saying that could fragment somebody. And we need to be conscious of that. And that would be why my endorsement for integration is so important, having your allies to check in, such as your wife or my wife or people that are in your life that say, are we on the same track? Are we going in the direction we still want to be going? Yeah, fair. constant evaluation. Because I I guess it's saying that if you're deconstructing or deprogramming yourself, you have to reprogram. You know what I mean? You can't just leave an empty vessel. It's almost as if, you know, you pour some water out, you got to put some back in. You know what I mean? Like you're, it's, it's basically, to me, it seems like that our, our personality, who we are is, is a container that has to have something in it. And so if you're taking something out, you got to put something back in. And that to me, is that the idea of, of integration? Is that, is that like a really simple summary is that you're taking something out of the container and you're putting something back in? Well, that's a great way of looking at it. And I think that reminds me of back at the beginning is making it practical. If the intention is to check your personality or say you have an addiction and you want to get rid of it, that's going to change your personality no matter what. If you're hoping that you're going to contain and hold something still, you better take inventory of it and get a little bit of a snapshot. And that's why I think that constant check-in and going back to what I was saying about tethers or anchors is it's recognizing what's there and what's not there. 
It almost reminds me of totems from the movie Inception. You know what I mean? That's like the, all I've been thinking about this whole right? time. I know, is a spinning yeah. top. <laughs> <laughs> and if that doesn't stop spinning, then well, you know. Yeah, it's it's sort of an interesting way of looking at it. And well, you have to remember, just a public service announcement. I started when I was twelve. That fair enough. I have yeah. a PhD and I have a master's degree in this, but I know no different. And so you have to trust yourself. And, and again, I'm selling myself out here, but you have to keep going on your path with trusting people and trusting yourself and trusting the environment you're in. That's actually a really, I think, a really important thing is trusting yourself. You know, and that, that was the one big thing for me when like higher dose psychedelic experiences is just simply trusting myself to let go of control, to relinquish whatever perceived control that I had and simply just trust myself in the experience. And that kind of brings me up to another question. You know, I feel like the term ego death gets thrown around very frequently. It's become elitist within psychedelic communities. You know, and I, I, it's one of those things that I don't think many people even understand what that necessarily means. You know, the idea of an ego as an identity and its subsequent dissolution, I think is terrifying for a lot of people and i Fair enough. But does it have any role in in sort of psychedelic healing and medicine? And what, what is an ego dissolution in, in your opinion? I'm going to start with what it is. An ego dissolution is a checking of this body, who we are, our identity, and being separate from it. So in a way, being depersonalized. And at the same time, being recognizing that we're connected to the universe or everything that is energy. Why it's important in psychedelic medicine is it's the preparation for the ultimate, which is the mystery of death. And so that's where I actually lean into right now, Adam. And I appreciate this conversation because I believe the number one value for psychedelic therapy related to ego death is the preparation and the mystery of death. No matter what your spiritual beliefs are or lack of spiritual beliefs, this idea is a practice to surrender into what is unknown. And that is the one constant we have, no matter if we're 99 or we die tragically at 18, you need to practice this. And that's what I love about psychedelics. Irrelevant of the exercises, it's the ego death, the practicing that before you came here and after you leave, you have an opportunity to see what it's going to feel like. Yeah, like the Greek mysteries were thought of as you experience death in life so that you can truly live. You know, I think psychedelic experiences have been anecdotally thought from many cultures as an experience of death. And and even like Buddhism itself, the idea of being able to be conscious and move through the stage of death through bardos and all these different things, like there's so many significant parallels between, you know, these Eastern philosophies with the ideas of what psychedelics are. And like, you know, I had a death experience years ago where it was an ego death and it was, it was completely a psychedelic experience. The entire thing was psychedelic by its very nature, like the notion of a void and this love and, you know, dissolution into the fabric of the universe. And to me, it was very reminiscent of like a 5-MeO-DMT experience. And Yeah, and so Adam, can I ask you, did you feel safe in it? Oh, God, yeah. Like there was nothing to be afraid of. And the thing was is that like I wasn't Adam. I didn't have these biological fears. I didn't have this fear of the absence of Adam because I was just simply everything. And I I will exist forever in any capacity. You know what I mean? Like it was, it was actually interesting because when, you know, I woke up in the ICU like eight hours later and all this jazz. And 
the one thing that I noticed the most was that the absence of all the biological function that I live with as a talking primate was that it's, it's, it's interesting how much biological influence we have with various hormones and, and states of fear and anxiety that we live with on a day-to-day basis. It was like a complete shut off. It was to me being dead or temporarily in that process was simply perfect in the sense that it was devoid of everything that is struggling and difficult from being a human. You know, people talk about the human condition and I'm like, oh yeah, the human condition is, it's full of pain, it's full of suffering and fear, but it's also full of love and happiness. And it is really whatever we make from it, but it has to be all of the above. You need contrast to give value to things, right? Like if, you know, I, I say quite frequently that I like getting sick every now and then because it makes me appreciate not being sick that much more. And, Without a doubt. Right? Yeah. Like that's kind of my thought on that. But I, I find it interesting. It's almost like you've taken an Epicurean perspective rather than a deprivationist perspective on death. Oh, totally. Yeah. No, I completely agree with that. And so I actually thought that was really awesome that you're talking about the idea of using psychedelics to train for death. And, you know, in, in, in all reality, you know, like humanity has been struggling since the dawn of our consciousness to give reason, to give meaning to death, hence religions, sonnets, books, songs, you know, <laughs> epics have all been written about death. You know what I mean? Like the Odysseys and, you know what I mean? Dante's Inferno, all of these things pertain to what happens afterwards. And I, I personally think that psychedelics are a mechanism to experience and loosen the hold that our mortality has on us. But, you know. Yeah, and I appreciate what you're saying because that's where I don't want to sound morbid. So I'm not using psychedelics like as a suicidal direction. I'm actually using it to live more profound, recognize the innocence of it, recognize the comic of it, and yet still being okay with when my final breath comes, such as you said, and such as Jason was talking about, I'm ready for it. Will I be ready for it? I might be shaking. I might fucking not even know. Right. (laughs) But I'm living now bigger. Yeah, I'm enjoying the innocence. Well, it's like the studies that was done from Imperial College with like Roland Griffith doing the studies with psilocybin for um, treating the anxiety brought on by being a palliative patient. And and actually in Canada right now, you can get psilocybin through the government, through the special access program for being palliative. Like if you're stage four melanoma, you can actually get psilocybin prescribed to you through the special access program to treat end-of-life anxiety. And I think that's, I I really think that that's something that is very important moving forward with what psychedelics do, because I think one could argue that at the core of all of us, we have survival mechanism that I think is biologically motivated. Because let's be realistic, if you didn't have that, you won't exist. This whole planet would not exist if there wasn't survival mechanisms ingrained into every single living species. And so fighting that is a very interesting thing and then you know our consciousness and our capacity to create circumstances that aren't real regarding our mortality like i I think that the vast majority of anxiety and fear that people experience might subjectively be boiled down to a fear of mortality if that makes sense i agree with you and that's where i think the everybody deserves it such as you, and I think it's beautiful that Canada is doing that, because then there is an element that no one should be withheld from the practice. 
Well, it's also interesting right now that in Canada, there's this issue with our our veterans who have PTSD, and they're more apt to give veterans a MAID program, which is medically assisted dying, than they are to actually give them psychedelics to help them alleviate their PTSD. And, oh, I know, (laughs) your facial expression right now is on par with, yeah. And so, and again, too, right? Like, it's, it's a work in progress, but it's just... You know, it seems for things like that, like as far as I'm concerned, okay, fair enough. If someone's depressed, they have the right to feel better. They have the right to utilize these medicines to help alleviate that. But when you have people who are actively suicidal, you know, it's, I find it disconcerting that these liability concerns and the brakes are on and it's going to take such a long time to to actually make this accessible to people. It's really a profound uh, idea to give people consent, isn't it? Right. Yeah, I know it's, it's it's sort of unique. And like, and I look at places like Oregon and, you know, it seems that every single time I look at my like news feeds and stuff, you have a different city, a different state passing legislation to legalize or decriminalize or somehow allow psychedelics to be utilized within the mental health framework. And, you know, how, how do you see this going down? You know, like, you know, like I know CBD is still federally illegal in the States, which is kind of, kind of funny to me. But yet, do you see this as a framework where states are individually allowing this to work? And in your opinion, as a psychologist, do you think it should be held? Like the the reins should be held by medical, psychi- like psychiatric professionals? Or do you think that the people should have the right to steer their destiny when it comes down to psychedelic? So this is where I'm going to walk a fine tightrope. <clears throat> Because I advocate for recreational use, and I see the value in therapeutic use. I do believe people should have consent, and I love the idea of decriminalizing this. And with the appropriate people, we need to recognize there's certain environments, conflicts, traumas that could exacerbate something without being controlled or in a container of healing by medical professionals. So as I'm trying to navigate out of this question, (laughs) (laughs) I'm recognizing the value that these medicines are important, but I do not want it to be controlled by a bunch of people that have pieces of paper that think they know what they're talking about. When some of the people that don't have pieces of paper know damn well what they're talking about and what they need. So I know that's not a direct answer, but it needs to be incremental. We need to continue to have these conversations. Well, and I I agree with you. Like it's not, (laughs) the question I asked was not a simple question. It's nuanced, it's complicated, and it's a difficult thing to answer. And, you know, like for me, I, I agree with you. I think everyone should have access to them from a recreational perspective for a spiritual growth, personal exploration. But I think the one thing that people miss when they're talking about that is that the people with severe PTSD or severe depression or any number of things, I think it does require some sort of framework that is structured around it. And, you know, and doing some mushrooms and going out with your friends is a very different experience than doing a bunch of mushrooms by yourself at home or in a therapeutic context. You know, like the results are, I don't think they could be any more different. And so, yeah, it's it's going to be a very interesting thing to see how it's navigated as this rolls out. Ryan, can I ask you, um, what patient profile is most successful with psychedelic uh, use and therapeutic integration? The patient profile that I've seen that's 
really successful are people that are already doing active therapy that have a little bit of distance from either their trauma, their addiction, or their grief history. And why I'm saying that is it, it defends people from just going in without doing any work in preparatory. What I have found and I love this question, Jason, is the idea that if people have recognized what they're going into work on and have done some preliminary work, there's a far greater success radio, ratio than just going in thinking they're going to do this work. And as Adam said earlier, get what they need, not necessarily want. So to go across the board, it doesn't matter what they're coming in. It's what the intentional set and preparation work they've done. It's more like you get what you put into it is kind of what I'm hearing with regards to this. Without a doubt. And you also then have to know that the back end is going to be just as significant. You know, I've heard a lot of people say, you know, it's it's the space between psychedelic experiences that matters the most. And I, I feel like the more and more I view psychedelics, the more and more I recognize what that means. And I'm inclined to agree. And then when you say in the back end, I assume you mean on the tail end of the experience is that. Yeah. And what that would look like is the aftercare. Yeah. Which is incremental. And then it leads into these active exercises that feel comfortable to you. And then we stretch into things that are uncomfortable. So aftercare is all about really reassuring yourself then we do exercises that you're already knowing and then we move into things that might push you out of that comfort zone so if if some of our viewers were listening to this podcast because they want to understand psychedelics before that they do them they are psychedelic naive and so the prep work to do psychedelics in your opinion would be to be taking therapy to be starting to understand yourself and understand who you are in ordinary states before engaging in non-ordinary? That's a reasonable statement. That's a perfect statement. And it would go deeper into them getting to know who they are, recognize that character or personality that we talked about earlier, and then move into where it feels fragmented or wanting some healing. By doing this work without psychedelics or non-ordinary states, there's a reassurance. Remember that word I used earlier? It's There's this grounding of certainty, be it something I like or don't like. And then we can move into doing that work. And so one other thing, too, that I wanted to ask is that, is there exclusion criteria in your mind for people using psychedelics? Like outside of, and again, this is, this is anecdotal. I'm just parroting from what I hear. Outside of pe people with perhaps... Uh, a predisposition towards psychotic mental health conditions, things like schizophrenia. And I know that bipolar was on that list, but yet Gabor Mady was treating bipolar. There's a lot of people I know who treat people who have bipolar with psychedelics. You know, but is there, in your opinion, exclusion criteria for people wanting to do psychedelics for the first time? One of the ones that I've seen a criteria that I've walked with very loosely and respected people coming in with is suicidal ideation. And that's a criteria that I think going back to having ordinary therapy is important so we're grounded because we cannot confirm what's going to happen in the experience. And one of the reasons I say this is the work I've done with suicidal ideation people have responded well to with a container of safety and a container of compassion and an appreciation of self. If you go into this work with this idea on the top of mind, it's very dicey. And I'm not going to go into any other disclusions, but that one is super important to just really honor and love the person. And I know that's how you and I 
kind of interacted and learned about each other is this idea of holding a container for this life it, it takes the breath out of me and you can't like reposition anything after an experience that's an interesting statement when you say that you can't repossession reposition anything after this experience like what what do yes. you mean by that well, I'm inferring that solely for the subject matter of suicidal ideation, okay. right? And, and I'm not trying to get too deep and too serious, but we're still playing with something that we don't know everything about. And if you're interfacing with someone that has suicidal ideation, it's intense. Yeah. And you have to honor them, hold space with them, and not give them a compound that may disrupt that even more. Yeah, or exacerbate the underlying whatever psychological concerns are occurring in the first place to allow them to want to feel this and it's sort of you know exactly. for me like i i support you know medically assisted suicide but the one thing that i find is that to me if your body's broken and you have a generative condition that completely understood or if you have depression that is completely treatment resistant, every single day you struggle, you've tried all sorts of treatments, then, you know, it's, I, I understand that. It's it's not my position to be telling people what to do with their life. But again, it's sort of, when it comes down to it, it's like, have people been given all the opportunities to explore mechanisms in which to alleviate the underlying cause of their suicidal ideation? And like, even, you know, Jason and I, we've been paramedics for a cumulative total of like over 35 years. The amount of people that, you know, come in with suicidal ideation. And and again, there's just there's an absence of resources. So I'm I'm very much hoping that as this whole thing moves forward that, you know, the I the underlying psychological conditions that are leading to someone wanting to kill themselves will at least be given the opportunity to be alleviated within these psychedelic spaces. Yeah, and I think it's happened and I've seen that. And so I have to kind of paraphrase what I was saying is it wouldn't mean that they're cut out. And similar to Gabor Mate, I, I work with different people. There's no exclusion in that regard. There's just caution. Yeah, no, that that's a fair statement. Yeah, I was going to say you're approaching it with a degree of yeah. concern. And just off be the hop, right? weary moving in because of the outcomes that can be, you know, detrimental. Right. And it's not limited to just that. No, fair enough. So, Ryan, we're kind of coming up to the end here. And... I just wanted to, so you, you are the co-author of the Psychedelic Integration Handbook, which is, is a book that you wrote. How would people access that? Is that something that they can buy online? They can download, you know, digital copies? Like, how would they go and find this? Would, would they find it on your webpage and so forth? Yeah, so leading into the fact that we're talking about psychedelics, it's a handbook that's tactical. I don't have it on digital. I'm thinking about putting it on digital and I don't want to make a long winded story or justification of it. <laughs> but the idea of it is, is you hold it and work it. And it's grounding and so this in book itself. Is designed. Yeah. Yeah. Say more about that. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's actually really cool. And so they, they could go to your, to your webpage, which is healingsouls.com as well as psychedelicintegration.net. And they could. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. And people could reach out to you. They could contact you. They could, you know, seek your advice for the integration and advice on going into a psychedelic experience and how to proceed through this, I imagine. Yeah, that's accurate, Adam. And I want to endorse something right there is it's personal. So any psychedelic integration therapist can work for somebody, but the relationship is necessary. Hmm. And so I work all across the world and help people, but 
you have to relate to each other. And I know I'm not cut out for everybody. The book is a guidepost for you to find it and make it your own. So my last like kind of spiel here would be design it and create it to make it yourself. Feel safe in that. Trust yourself. And is that with the relationship of the therapist, with the medicine that you feel comfortable, or just the way you interact with your integration process? Because it doesn't mean doing five yoga classes a week, meditate for 45 minutes, and then drink green juice. <laughs> that's not for everybody. No, that's uh, well said. No, and I, I completely agree with that. And one other thing I wanted to just mention, too, is that, you know, you are a registered integration therapist for the Multidisciplinary Association of Psychedelic Studies, which is MAPS. And you know, I, I think that's a, a very good endorsement from them as well. And I think that anyone, any of our listeners, you know, check out the book. I think it's a fantastic idea to create a foundation so that you can move through these psychedelic experiences and get what you need from it and get the most from it. And I think it's really important. And so, you know, check out the webpage, um, healingsouls.com, psychedelicintegration.net. And yeah, I think that the book's very important. I think what you're doing is very important, and I, I appreciate what you're doing right now, Ryan. That means the world to me, and I am humbled by it. It's a grateful experience to talk with you, and the information you guys are providing is necessary. Uh, is there anything else that you that you would like to promote right now? Like, you know, anything that you're doing at all? No? Uh, you're no, also... I don't think so. This has been profound. Not that this this was an awesome conversation, man. Like I, It was good. I really yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, honestly, really appreciate you uh, joining us today there, Ryan. Oh, thank you. There was one point... What I just realized is because in the United States, Healing Souls is not my website. It's actually healingsoulsllc.com for oh, some reason. So I don't know Souls if that changes, LLC. but just for you to know. We'll, we'll make sure to link the website in the show notes uh, for our listeners out there. And uh, yeah, definitely uh, appreciate you clarifying that yeah, on the so audio piece. <laughs> yeah. And so for any of our listeners who want to access to these, we'll leave all the links in the show notes. There'll be access to them. And please, you know, check it out. If uh, you felt a connection with Dr. Westrum, please reach out and have a conversation with them and see if you can help sort of integrate your experiences. So, Ryan, I want to say again, I really appreciate the yeah, conversation, and I'll talk to you soon, man. Yeah, be well. 